Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com. If you're just joining us today, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. It's our practice here at Hope to study a gospel from front to back, and then to do a topical series, and then to study a New Testament epistle from front to back, and then do a topical series, and then do an Old Testament uh, book. And so we kind of go through this rotation so that over the years, you get exposed uh, to the entire Bible. Um, And because I've been here since the beginning, this is actually the third time that I've gotten to preach through Mark. So this is my third time through it in the 23 years we've been doing things here at Hope. And so today we're going to think about why Jesus teaches in parables. Uh, And it's really an important question because Jesus was unquestionably the single greatest teacher in all of human history. That, That is unarguable because between the ages of 30 and 33... In a backwater in the Roman Empire, without writing down a single thing, never producing a book, having nothing written in his hand, in three years, he trained 12 uneducated disciples, a theology that completely explained what God was saying in the Hebrew Scriptures, and founded what has become the largest religion in the history of of the world. And so, think about that. Um, Some of you have been here longer than three years. Um, In three years, Jesus founded and taught these people enough that they could go out and produce the New Testament. But the way he taught was very confusing. Imagine that you're part of the crowd that has gathered in Capernaum. We've been looking at this crowd for the last three weeks. It's described in Mark 3, 7 and 8, where we read this. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd from Galilee, and a large crowd from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon, followed them. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. So imagine you're in this group, right? You've heard that this new prophet, this new messianic figure who's able to do supernatural things and is teaching in synagogues like no one has ever taught with an authority no one's ever heard before, has shown up on the scene and is in the backwater of the Roman Empire. He's over here in Galilee. And so you decide that you're going to take advantage of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to travel to see him live, right? It's like how many of you got excited about Taylor Swift's Era's era's Tour, right? Times a million, right? Imagine that. And so you've gone for days, you've traveled for days to see this guy, and you've gathered outside of the city of Capernaum because the crowd that's shown up is too big to be contained in the synagogue anymore. It's too big to meet in people's houses. You're on this beach And Jesus has had to stand in a boat because the crowd is pressing in on him so much. And he's out on the water so that there's some space between him and you. And the crowd has finally settled down, right? And things have gotten quiet enough that you can hear him teach. And he stands up, and this is what his sermon is. 
verse 3 of Mark 4. Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on the good ground, and it grew up producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. And then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. And then he left. That was it, right? What would you think? What would you think? Would you think, what? That's it? Like, I traveled for days for that? Would you think, that guy is a charlatan. That guy is an idiot. That guy is insane. Like, what would you even think after that sermon? It lasted less than two minutes. And then he peaced out. He left. I think you would feel disappointed. I think you'd feel confused. And I think you would think, that is the strangest way to teach. Because if you want to get your message across to people, shouldn't you be like clearer? And Jesus seems to be going in the opposite direction, right? He began in Mark by explaining his Sabbath practice by citing a story from the Hebrew Scriptures in David's life about when he went into the temple and how he got the temple bread that was only for the priest. And Jesus applied those principles to his Sabbath practice. Super clear. A plus B equals C. Very linear way of thinking, very clear way of explaining why he and his disciples did what they did on the Sabbath. And then he goes from that to having this enormous crowd and doing this and not explaining himself at all. I think you would think, why are you doing that? Which is exactly what the disciples were thinking. In Mark 4.10, Mark tells us, When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. They're like, bro, what, what was that about? Why are you doing that? And in our passage today, he explains to his disciples why he's doing it. Last week, Tripp talked about the messianic secret and how Jesus was taught in parables in part to control the timing of his ministry. Jesus was very intentional about making sure that his crucifixion took place on the Passover. And so he was very intentional about controlling the timing of his ministry, and he would not allow other people with other agendas to set his agenda. So whether there were people who wanted Jesus to pursue public miracles so that they could consume the supernatural activity of God to their earthly benefit, or people who wanted to leverage Jesus's popularity in order to get political control back from the Romans over Israel, Jesus wasn't going to have that. He didn't have those people set his agenda. So that's one reason he says he taught in parables. But today we're going to look at the second reason and what I think is actually maybe even the more important reason. Um, he talks about it in verse 33. He says, he was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable 
Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. You see, it turns out that Jesus taught in parables because parables are the best way for us to understand what he's trying to explain. And why is that? Well, Matthew Henry explains why in the quote on your front of your bulletin, and that is poetry is actually better at carrying perfect truth than propositions are. And he, Jesus explains basically the same thing using poetic analogies. Look at verse 21. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. What Jesus is explaining here is, hey, listen, the reason I'm teaching you in parables, not just now, publicly, but all the time, is because parables are enlightening. I'm trying to reveal something to you. I'm not trying to hide something from you. I'm trying to show you something that you don't have the eyes to see yet. And why is that, right? Why do parables, why do metaphor, why do simile, why do poetry carry more truth than propositions? And the answer is because adults are self-directed learners. This is why it's so hard to show someone something they don't want to see. In fact, uh, in 2017, a group of researchers in the U.S. and Canada did an uh, experiment on college-educated Western adults. And this is what they did. They brought people in who volunteered to be part of this experiment, and they had them read an article on a controversial issue that affirmed what those adults believed. Okay, so if the, uh, you know, the, uh, the issue was political, it would affirm their political position. If the issue was cultural, it would affirm their cultural position. If it was religious, it would affirm their religious position. And every adult was like, sweet, yes, right? They read it, they were excited. And then they asked them, are you willing to read another article that counters this article, that responds critically to this article with counterarguments that are just as reasonable, that are equally as strong? Are you willing to basically pressure test your firmly held controversial belief by studying a well-thought-out counterargument to it? What percentage of adults do you think were willing to do it? And the answer is less than 30%. Even though the people doing the survey were willing to pay them to do it. Which means two-thirds of American and Canadian college-educated adults are unwilling to even consider a counter-argument against a firmly held belief for money, right? They won't even read it. It doesn't mean you even have to agree with it. They just refuse to read it. And so, if you're going to teach an adult something new, Jesus knew that the first thing you had to do was create in them a willingness to learn something new. And in order to do that, you have to capture their attention, you have to create some confusion, and then you have to facilitate some curiosity by encouraging them to dig a little deeper and to ask themselves questions about, what is he saying? 
Why is he saying that? Who is he talking about in this parable? Is he talking about me? Where am I in this story? Who does he think he is? And that's what Jesus was doing by using parables. And the reason that this is important is because of what Jesus is trying to bring to light, what Jesus is trying to reveal to us. See, you can use a propositional truth when you can comprehend something. When you can get your mind completely around something, then propositional truth works great. One plus one equals two is something you and your kids can comprehend. Great formula, okay? But why quantum entanglement works when you take a particle and you split it apart and it's able to communicate what Einstein called spooky motion at a distance faster than the speed of light, we can't understand, right? It's a concept that is too big for our brains. We can apprehend it, we can get our minds on it, and we can get our minds going in the direction of the truth, but we can't get our minds around it. And so we have to come up with analogies for that or metaphors like that for that like string theory, right? So that's how we we tend to kick into geometrical or poetic language whenever we're trying to think about something that's too big to fit in our brains, And here's the truth that Jesus is trying to reveal to you, a truth that's too big to fit in your brain. He's trying to reveal to you truth about your infinite creator and his eternal kingdom to someone who lives in space and time. And and so, of course, he's going to have to use parables. Of course, he's going to have to use metaphor. Of course, he's going to have to use story. And understanding that then explains how do you learn from Jesus. Look at verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. You see, the first step to learning from Jesus is listening to Him and then paying attention to what you hear. Now, you might think that's easy, but it's not. How many of you remember what Jesus said to us when Sid preached here two weeks ago? What did Sid teach you? What verse was it about? How did Jesus apply it to your life? How much time have you spent this week, last six days, meditating on what Jesus used trip to teach you last week? How have you applied it? How have you changed? How have you repented? We said we're real people looking to the real Jesus for real change here at Hope. How did you change this week specifically because of what Jesus said to you last week? Have you memorized any scripture this week, this month, this year? Because Jesus spoke it to you. If not, I want you to consider Psalm 1, right? This is God's hymn book. Very first thing he wants you to know as you enter into his presence Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked 
or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. You see, the natural bent of the human heart is away from God. We begin by walking in the advice of the wicked, and then we start publicly standing with sinners. We're like, we're on this team, this is our group. And then you end up sitting with those who mock God's instructions and make fun of people who meditate on them. Um, think about, you know, your year-end Spotify thing came out this week and you looked at your top five songs. Um, how many of those songs did you intend to memorize all the lyrics to? None. But if I played your top five songs right now, you would know every word. You would know every word. You never, it took zero effort for you to do that. It happened to you naturally. Why? Because every day we pull up our phones and we listen to the advice of people who don't know Jesus. They just sing it to us. And we take it in. And we say, yeah, that's right. That feels right. That's the way I want to feel. That's true. That must be true. That's the way I want to live. I wish I were them. Wouldn't it be great to be Taylor Swift? Man, wow. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome to be that guy who went viral, who sang that angry song in Virginia, that redneck who didn't, you know, that guy. I don't even know his name. He'd be, oh, man, look at that guy. He's sticking it to the man. Right? We do that. That's what we do. That's how we think. I think Donovan Woods is so freaking cool. Y'all don't even know who that guy is. I'm like, man, Donovan Woods is going to be here in April. I can't wait to go. I'm already thinking about it. See, the thing we need to be conscious of is that it's possible to come to church because you find it entertaining and you find it socially beneficial and you find it to be conducive to networking for your career or to helping you with your kids or to giving you a break. And this is why King Herod liked to listen to John the Baptist preach. In Mark 6, a passage we'll get to in a few weeks, we read this. John had been telling Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And so Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not because Herod feared John and protected him. Knowing he was a righteous and holy man, when Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. Think about that. Unrepentant Herod liked to go to church and was even willing to take heat from his adulterous wife over it because he knew that John was a righteous and holy man, but he didn't understand a single thing that guy was saying. It went right over his head. This is why Jesus' younger brother James said, hey, you, you need to watch out because this can happen to us. For those who don't remember, this is what Tripp preached on last week. Tripp said this, Look at Mark 4, 10 through 12. Jesus answered this question, Why do you teach in parables with this? When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he answered, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive, they may indeed listen and yet not understand, otherwise they might turn back and be forgiven. Jesus was quoting Isaiah 6 there. Isaiah was writing to believers 
And he was explaining to them why the wrath of God was about to come down on the nation of Israel and they were about to be taken captive because the Assyrians were going to come in and completely crush them. And what he was explaining is, you guys go to church every week and you don't listen to a dang thing I'm saying. You're ever hearing but never listening. You guys are just a bunch of religious hypocrites who will not take care of your own employees. You have unjust wages. You have unjust scales. You rip everybody off. You say the end justifies the means. You believe in the invisible hand of capitalistic economy, and you just ignore what I want you to do because the Egyptians have got what you want, and you want to go get it. And so guess what? I'm going to give you what you're asking for. You want to live like the Assyrians? Guess what? You're going to live in Assyria. I'm just going to hand you over to them. That's what's going to happen. James applied this to his congregation in Jerusalem this way. This is Jesus' younger brother writing right after Jesus died. This is in the first century. James 1, 22-25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in all that he does. This is why Jesus says to us today in verse 25, If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Some of us should go out to lunch after this and discuss what God is saying to us instead of hurrying home to watch the loser Panthers lose again. (laughs) Others need to take a Sabbath from our devices so that we can ignore the advice of the wicked and instead meditate on God's Word to us today. Some need to memorize a verse from this passage so that you can pay attention to it all week. As we do this, the Word of God will begin to add to our understanding. If you've been given, you're going to be given more. While taking away things that you've believed about God that are wrong, there are things that we think that are true about God that are simply not true. Verse 24, By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Now, sometimes this experience is excruciating, right? It's where we get the word crucifixion from. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross every day and follow me. So if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you have to have a pain threshold. You have to be willing for God to come and correct and rebuke and train you in righteousness by taking things away from you and going, you thought that's how this works, that's not how this works. You thought I was going to do this, I am not going to do this. You thought I would never allow this, I am going to allow it. And yet, I'm doing this because I'm trying to give you more of what? Of me. Right? I'm trying to empty you of false notions about me so that I can give you the real thing. I want to be married to you. I am preparing a place for you to live with me forever because great is my faithfulness to you. I have a deep, burning affection for you, a love that will not let you go and will not allow you to wander into falsehoods 
about me. Because God is a giver. So what's he trying to give us, right? That's heavy, right? The gospel's bad news before it's good news, right? It's law before grace. It's truth before mercy. So you've, you've got a big dose of that right now. All right, what's he trying to give us? Well, in the kingdom of God, he's trying to give us growth, Jesus says in these parables. He's trying to give us citizenship, and he's trying to give us rest. First, he's trying to give us growth. Verse 26, the kingdom of God is like this. A man scattered seed on the ground... He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest time has come. You see, the kingdom of God isn't something that we accomplish, and it's not something that we acquire. It's something that we receive like the ground receives the seed or like the ground receives the rain. When you're working on growing in Christ, it's kind of like working on your tan. Your, your job is to get in front of the source of the thing that is going to change you. You're not changing yourself, you're receiving the transformation. In God's kingdom, what God is explaining through Jesus here is just like the farmer plants the seed and goes to sleep, and while he's asleep, God does all the work, and the farmer receives all the benefits, but God gets all the glory. That's the way his relationship with you works. Jesus does all the work, you receive all the benefits, but he gets all the glory. And so, what is the first benefit that you would get when you receive King Jesus into your life? Well, citizenship in the kingdom of God. You are no longer an American citizen, first and foremost. That's your secondary identity. You're now an ambassador of Christ. You're now united to Christ, and you are a member of God's kingdom. Look at verse 28. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain, and as soon as the crop is ready, he sends the sickle, because the harvest has come, right? The harvest is what Jesus talks about when he's going to separate the wheat from the tares. There's going to be this moment when the members of his kingdom are separated from the people who are not part of his kingdom. Right now, we're growing up side by side. The weed and the wheat are growing up together. But because God's patient and he's gentle and he loves wheat more than he hates weeds, he's willing to endure this, but there's going to be a day when that's over. And on that day, all of those who are united to Christ by faith will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your master's happiness and come into the kingdom of God. And you'll be part of the new heavens and the new earth. You'll have a resurrected body where you will never die. You will never be able to be tempted again. You'll never sin. And at that moment, you'll realize why the universe is so big. Because we're going to be able to explore this whole thing. And we're going to be able to travel for millions of years. And as you age... Uh, a thousand years will seem like a day to you. You'll be like that. And as you understand that, that God is the one building his kingdom and not us. So God's kingdom is going to come and his will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. What happens is that you realize there's nothing that anybody can do to stop God. I don't need to freak out. My life's not falling apart. Because this earth isn't my life. This is like my internship. I'm not even in my real life yet. I don't even know why I was created. I don't even know what I was made to do yet. I won't know that until after the resurrection, when suddenly my life will make sense. 
Right now, I'm like a baby in the womb. I'm like, I've got these eyes, but I can't see anything. And I hear this weird voice out there. I don't know what that is. It feels like they're talking to me. And why can't I move? I feel like I've gotten so dang big in here, and everything's cramped. And, oh, my gosh, I guess I'm about to die when you get flipped on your head. And you're like, well, I guess that's it. That was great, nine months. And your life is just beginning. And Jesus says, hey, that's what you're in. You're in the womb right now. You're being formed for your real life. You're not even in your real life yet. Your real life hasn't even started. You're buried underground like an acorn under dirt. You're going to be an oak tree. Right now, it just feels like you're dying. But you're growing roots, and you've got to go deep before you can grow tall. So that's what's going to happen. And nobody can stop it. Seed grows while the farmer sleeps. And once you understand that, that understanding will transform your relationship with your culture. It's what changed the Roman world, right? Christianity changed the Roman world from this group of 12 uneducated disciples. Why? Because one theologian described it this way, they believe that Jesus is king and Caesar is not. And because they believed that Jesus was king and Caesar was not, they were free to do anything in the Roman world. They could do anything. They were unstoppable. And so here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is king in politics or not? Do you believe that Jesus is king and money is not? Do you believe that Jesus is king and the opinions of other people are not? If so, then you can receive the third thing he's trying to give you, which is rest. Verse 30, he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when grown, when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all seeds on the ground, and when sown it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Do you find in yourself this ache for home? Do you wish you had a place to nest, a place that you could just sit and be safe and your kids could be safe and that you could feel at home? Well, Jesus is explaining that is the kingdom of God. That's the place that you were meant to live. Now, as soon as Jesus started talking about seeds, everybody that was in Israel would have like perked up because God had given this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 7, when God first appeared to Abraham. This is what he said. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your seed, and that's singular, not plural, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. The apostle Paul, meditating on that, in Galatians 3.16 says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed. And then he realizes who he was talking about the whole time, who is Christ. Jesus is the promised seed, singular, of Abraham that God is going to give the entire world to. He's going to give the entire planet to him. And this is why Jesus would explain on the night he was betrayed in John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Remember how I talked about how he he needed to control the timing of this. This needed to line up on Passover. This was that moment. 
Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself, but if it dies, it produces much fruit. Why did Jesus lay his life down? Because he didn't want to stay by himself. God didn't want to be alone. He didn't want to be the righteous one, the holy one. And so he sent his son down here to create people who he could call holy and blameless in his sight. Why? By becoming the atoning sacrifice for our sins and allowing him to pass over us in judgment and instead take on, impute our sins to himself so that he could die and from that death produce the righteous and holy people of God who are made righteous and holy. How? By the sinless blood of the Lamb who loved them and gave himself for them. Which is why we come to this table every month. You see, this is what Jesus was trying to explain in another parable. The final parable that he taught that he said, you need to meditate on this anytime you get together. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in a similar fashion, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is shed for the remission of sins. Drink from it, each of you. If you want to be home, if you want to rest, if you want to know who you are, all you have to do is receive the seed. All you have to do is eat his broken body and shed blood for you. All you have to do is say, wow, I can't believe he came to get me. I can't believe that he chose me. I can't believe that he wants me. But for some reason, he does. Well, practically, what does that look like for me this week? Well, I had COVID, right? I was supposed to preach last week, got COVID, had to call a trip in on Saturday. So on Monday, I still had it, right? I've, I had it for 10 days. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, day 10 is going to be like Thursday. So I'm going to be fine by Sunday. But that, mean I, that meant I had to write a sermon um, while I had COVID. And so what I would do is I got up Monday morning and I read the passage and then I took a nap. And then I got up and I ate a smoothie for lunch and I tried to pick the opening um, paragraph and I wrote four sentences and then I took a nap. And then I was like, okay, that's it. That's all I got on Monday. So Tuesday, I zoom in to the sermon meeting. And the sermon meeting we have with all the worship people and with all the guys that are preaching. And so I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm on this little Zoom camera, right? And I'm like, Ham, what are you going to do with this passage? Aaron, what are you going to do with it? And I just listen to them. I'm like, Gordon, what would you do, right? Like, what would you do, Trip? And everybody talks. And I was like, man, those are some great ideas. I get off. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to write this sermon. I write the second paragraph, and then I go take a nap, all right? So I'm like, okay, well, that's it on Tuesday. That's all I had. So Wednesday, I get up, and I'm like, okay, Jesus, these people are not coming to hear from me. They are coming to hear from you. I need you to give me your words for your people. So I go to try to write this sermon, and I fall asleep. I wake up, I eat lunch, and finally I sit down in front of my computer, and in one shot, God gave me the whole thing, 
right? So this whole sermon fell into my hands in Wednesday, on Wednesday, and I didn't look at it again. I didn't, I didn't pick it back up. I just sent it to Ben. I sent it to Liza, and I was like, this is it. This is what we're going to do. And I looked at it again this morning, and I thought I was going to have to, like, rewrite the whole thing. But Holly and I got, like, tied up. We overslept. I got up at, like, 8.40. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm not even going to have time to rewrite this thing. And I look at it, and I'm like, oh, like, that's really good. That's, like, good news. Like, I like this. Like, Jesus is talking to me right now. Like, he's telling me, hey, man, listen, farmer, while you were asleep, guess what? I was growing something, right? I'm doing something. You don't need to sweat this. And so here's what I want you to understand. Hey, listen, man, I know it's been four hard years here, right? I know for some of us, we are tired. I know for some of us, Coswald is smaller than we thought it would be, or we haven't grown as much as we thought we would in four years. We're like, okay, like my faith is not exactly thriving right now. In fact, for some of us, our faith is smaller than it was five years ago. That God has taken things away from us, things we thought we believed that just didn't pan out. Even relationships, even friendships, we thought, okay, this is how the gospel is going to make these things work. Wrong. Nope, that's not how it works. And we're sad and we're confused. But here's the good news. Jesus is confusing you on purpose because he's trying to give you more. He's trying to give you more. Because Jesus said this, If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from them. And then he finished by saying this, verse 33, he was speaking the word to them in many parables like these, as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. Here's the great news. If you will listen to this and not forget what you heard today, but you will walk away and you will ask Jesus to explain it to you this week, he will explain it to you specifically how this applies to your life, what he really wants you to do or stop doing this week as a result of the good news of the gospel you heard today. And that's what brings us to this table. This table is not for people who intend to forget what they heard, right? If you are here going through the motions religiously to kind of get into the Christmas spirit, this table comes with a warning, please stay in your seat. Instead, pray. We've put some prayers you can pray in the bulletin that God might lead you into an actual encounter with the living God, that you might actually know Him, not know about Him, that you might experience Him. If, however, you have been united to Christ by faith, even if you've done nothing this week, you haven't listened at all, you haven't meditated on anything, you've just walked in the advice of the wicked, you've stood in the way of sinners, you sat in the seat of mockers, if you're ready to repent, if you're ready to ask God to give and to take away, because he wants to give you more of himself, this table is for you. Because Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavily laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. And so it's our practice here at Hope to come forward and take the elements, come down the middle aisles, take the elements, and then go out back to your seats on the outer aisles. 
Um, the inner rings in the middle of the circle are real wine. The outer two rings are grape juice. And if you need gluten-free elements, they're in the prepackaged uh, thing that uh, is in front of you. Because on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, as I do now in his name, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take of it, each of you. And in a similar manner, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. Drink of it, each of you. As the elders come forward, I'll pray, and then you may come forward as you feel led. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to confuse us in order to make us curious so that we would meditate on what you said night and day, that you might give us more of your Father, more of his kingdom, more of your spirit, and more of yourself. We pray, Lord, that you would make us hungry to live in your light and to listen to your truth, that we might grow in grace and understand everything you're trying to explain to us. We pray this in your name. Amen.